Welcome today to Graceway Baptist Church and our Sunday School Hour. This is the lesson we're going to present on December 23rd, 2023. We are in the holiday season and the uh, full aspect of it, heading toward Christmas. And so uh, during the month of December, we want to uh, look at some things that have to do, of course, with the coming of Christ. And uh, I decided that we would kind of tackle the part of the verses and the story of Christ that are kind of uh, flyover country. I think about uh, how people on both coasts, they think about the part of the country in which we live. This is just a country they fly over. It really doesn't matter a whole lot. And some people act like that when they read in the Gospel of Matthew about the genealogy. In, in other words, those dreaded begat sections. I mean, who knows who those people are? Why is that, you know, relevant or anything like that? I remember uh, L.D. Baker, when he uh, talked about what he wanted at his funeral, he said something, as he usually did, that was kind of funny. But he said, now when you get to my obituary, don't read all of the names of everybody. They know who they are. Well, that's really what the problem is with a lot of this. Have you ever been to a funeral? And uh, when they read the obituary, you hear some things. Well, that was interesting. Well, I didn't know that. And you hear part of the life story. Then they get to all of the you know, names. Oh, if it's a large family, it's everybody that is that is passed on and everybody that is still living and you don't know hardly any of them. Now occasionally you go, oh I didn't know he was so-and-so's uncle or whatever, but most of the time you just sort of zone out at that particular place because you don't know them. Well that's what we do in the Bible. And yet when you think about it, if you are in the family of the person who died, you kind of like hearing your name and the names of your relatives, the people that you know, uh, being mentioned because it means something to you. Uh, this is the way we have to think of Matthew chapter 1. This means something because when Matthew wrote this, obviously uh, more of these names would be recognized. Some of these names, we don't know uh, who they are. We've lost the historical records of them and maybe what they did or what their job was or uh, anything like that. And Matthew doesn't give us a complete genealogy. The goal of the Gospel of Matthew, it's like an evangelistic tract to tell Jews that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And that's why uh, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he quotes the Old Testament and quotes the prophets a lot because he's showing how Jesus is the one who fulfilled all of that prophecy. So in this, what he is showing is that Jesus, and uh, when he starts talking about this, he's talking about it from a kingly perspective because he's talking about Jesus is the one who is royalty, who is the promised one that is in the line of David. So he doesn't go through everything. There are some generations he kind of uh, skips over uh, for length of time and because he's got one particular point to prove and he's showing the royal line of succession. So as we think about Jesus and as we think about this, this is included in here because it is used to 
show, to prove, and to affirm that Jesus indeed is the Messiah, that he's the only Messiah, that there can't be another one. And uh, this is why Herod was so shaken up whenever the wise men came in and they said, where is he that is, operative word, born, born king of the Jews? Well, that shook him up because he was a king, but only a puppet king of Caesar. He was there by the appointment and the pleasure of Rome, not because he was a true ruler of the Jews. Well, to find out that someone was born the king of the Jews, they followed the line of succession, just like uh, Charles III does in England, uh, that shook him up. There could be revolution, there could be messianic fervor, there could be unrest, all of this kind of stuff, a challenge to him, a challenge to Rome. That could cause the Roman armies to come rushing in to uh, Israel, cause all kinds of troubles. So he has to handle this, and he's going to, uh, to quote Barney Fife, he's going to nip it in the bud by finding out where this baby has been born and then killing. Okay? Obviously, the Lord had different plans about all of this. And um, it's, it's interesting, um, I've got this in the introduction, that people will look at the begats in the Bible and go, yawn, who cares? And then they'll go have their DNA tested. And then they'll start looking back through their ancestors. And you know what? They find the same thing that we find here. Not the same people, but the same thing. What do I mean? They'll look at the names of people they've never heard of. Oh, I'm related to them. Oh, that's my great, 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 great grandmother's whatever. And they don't know the people. They don't know about them. But all of a sudden, they're super interested because it's about them. Well, if it's not about us, we don't always care. And because in Matthew chapter 1, this is not solely about us, and yet it does teach us something. These unknown people in here played a part in God's eternal purpose and plan of redemption. In other words, in the humanity of Jesus, he descends down through this royal line. And if some of these people in here that you don't care about didn't exist, you wouldn't have a savior. This is God's plan. This is according to the prophecy of God. And so we have got to uh, at least be somewhat familiar with it. We're not going to do an exhaustive study, but we're going to look at two parts of it. And I think this will bless you if you will look at it. So let's go in our Bibles to Matthew 1. And let's just look at verses 1 through 6. What's in a genealogy? Well, Matthew starts off and he says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ gives us a summary. The son of David, the son of Abraham. He was both a king and he was also a Jew. He's the Jewish Messiah. He's the promised one that had been given to Israel hundreds of years before. So verse 2. Abraham begot Isaac, we know that. Isaac begot Jacob, he's the one whose name was later changed to Israel so that the nation is actually named after Jacob. And the children of Israel in the Old Testament are not little kids, they are the descendants of Jacob who came from Isaac, who came from Abraham where the covenant was given. The children of Israel are Jacob, the descendants of Jacob. 
And Jesus is perfectly uh, fit into this. And Jacob begot Judah, the leader of the tribe of Judah, and his brothers. And Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. And Ram begot Amenadab, and Amenadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. And Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. See, some names we don't know, then all of a sudden we jump in here. Here it is, Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. No Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse. Well, we've heard of him. And Jesse begot David the king. Okay, why? Why do we have this? What's in here? What are we supposed to learn? Number one, God wanted his people to know Jesus as the promised Messiah. We find that in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David and the son of Abraham. So he's not just some Yahoo that comes out of, I don't know, Ireland or Saudi Arabia or someplace like that and says, oh yeah, it's me, I'm the one. All of you bow down and worship me and I'm sent from God, obey me and all of that. No, we have to have a reason for trusting in Christ. We have to have a reason for understanding that he is the one. And the people that lived in the day of Jesus, they would have understood this far better than you and I would understand it because they kept meticulous genealogical records in the Jewish temple. And uh, why would they do that? Well, you remember that only certain people from certain tribes were qualified to be the priest or the high priest or anything like that. That's just not a job you apply for. That's not a job you just show up for and say, I think I want to do that. You had to be of a certain tribe. You had to be related to certain people, specifically Aaron, the brother of Moses. So they kept track of all of those things as well as these other things uh, like royal succession. How do you become the king? How do we know who the prince is? How do we know who is qualified to sit on the throne? Well, they kept these things because they wanted to know that. Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now, not the literal son of David. David was not Jesus' father, obviously. But when it says son, it's talking about meaning the descendant of David. Quite a few generations, but Jesus Christ is the one who, if Rome had not been dominating Israel, and Israel was an independent monarchy like it had been in the past, Jesus Christ would have been the baby born as the crown prince, we might say. And he's also the son of Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Jews. Every racial Jew has the DNA of Abraham himself in them. They are all descendant from him. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, the Jewish race. He's, um, by extension, the father of the nation and uh, of the Jews. And so that's an amazing thing. Well, Jesus is not just anybody. He is a Jew, and he is in the kingly line of David. That's what God wants us to know. And verse 1 is a summary followed by the documentation. Why'd they do that? It's just the style in which the ancient Jewish people would write. 
In Genesis chapter 1, remember it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, that's a summary statement. And then it says, And the earth was without form and void and all of that. And then he tells us how he did it. He tells us what he did and then how he did it. The same way with the genealogy. Here's the summary. He is a Jew from Abraham and he is a king because he descends from David. Now here's the documentation. It's just simply the summary of that. And God preserved Jesus' genealogy in his eternal word. And uh, should we study it? Yeah, because 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, if that's true of all scripture, that includes Matthew chapter 1, as well as Luke chapter 3, which gives us Mary's genealogy for the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus is the result of God's eternal plan of redemption. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's David's father, so it's going to be in that family. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So there was a prophecy back then that somebody was going to come that is related to David that is going to be the most significant thing that would ever happen in Israeli history. Far above Jacob, far above Abraham, far above any of the heroes of the faith that we read about. And Isaiah prophesied it some 700 years before Christ was even born. Now, you remember that Israel and Judah were two separate kingdoms after Solomon died. They split. They had a civil war. Israel, ten tribes of the twelve, ten of them that were in the northern region of the land, and two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, in the southern part of the land where Jerusalem is and where the temple was, that type of thing. And they were conquered by several world empires. You remember first it was Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And then it was Persia that conquered them, Darius and Daniel and all of those kind of things, Persian Empire. Then it was Greece, Alexander the Great, and then Rome that we find in the New Testament. And when the Bible says here that the stump of Jesse, it means the monarchy of David was long cut down and overthrown by these world empires. And yet the promise was still intact. It didn't matter that Caesar Augustus was Octavian, uh, also known as, was ruling in Rome over this region of uh, the world, the Middle East, called Israel. Didn't matter. God's plan was still intact. There's going to come out of the stump of Jesse. You only have a stump if the tree's been cut down. The kingdom had been overthrown, the land had been conquered, the monarchy done away with. And yet, Isaiah said, but there's still going to come one. Look for him because he is going to be God's king who comes from the root of Jesse, from David. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah, the tribe that Christ was from, will be saved or rescued, and Israel will dwell, will dwell securely. In other words, the nation's going to come back together. Those two kingdoms will be reunited. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. So God has a big plan. It's about salvation. It's about a king. It's about fulfilled prophecy. It's about continuing to do a work in the nation of Israel through the Jews because Jesus would be a Jew. And all of this is amazing. God wants you to know that and to be able to document it. Number two, God wanted his people to remember his covenants. Now we read in verse two, Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Now let's remember, Abraham, as we said earlier, was the father of the nation of Israel, and Jesus was a Jew, a part of the nation of Israel, a descendant of Abraham and Isaac. And the covenant that God made was and will be fulfilled in Christ. Way back in Genesis 18, Verse 18, long before Christ was born, it says, Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, this one man, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. Now, how's that going to happen? How does one guy become a great nation? By the blessing of God. And how does that nation ever survive there were so many people that wanted to wipe out the nation of Israel and wipe out the Jews, even to this day. When you hear people that are marching in our major cities and on our university campuses, and they say, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. Okay, what river? They're talking about the Jordan River. And to the sea, what are they talking about? The Mediterranean. You know what they're saying? We want Israel driven into the sea. We want them gone. We want them exterminated. Same thing Hitler wanted and same thing that Haman wanted back in the book of Esther. That's always been the plan. Get rid of the Jews. Gee, I wonder why the enemy and the world care so much about the Jews. They're such a small part of the population. Israel is such a tiny country. Even in the U.S., Jews are only about 2% of our population. And yet the FBI says that even in our modern day, even in our era, that 2% of the population, the Jews, receive 60% of the hate crimes. Why, I wonder? Could it be because God made a covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob and that was also given to Judah and all of that extends all the way down to the Lord Jesus Christ. You think that there's any conspiracy here? I guarantee you there is. The devil hates the Jews because he hates the God of the Jews and the covenant made with the Jews. And he hates Jesus, the fulfillment of that covenant. In Genesis, Genesis 17, 19, Then God said, No, Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. 
and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Well, so Jesus comes out of the line of Abraham and through Isaac, not Ishmael, but through Isaac and all the way down through Jacob and then through Judah and then through David. And notice all of this, who could fulfill that? Who could qualify for that? Well, not just any yahoo off of the streets, but Jesus Christ did. God wants you to know that. Thirdly, God wanted his people to see how he overcomes sin. Now, when we look at this genealogy, well, sometimes somebody said when you shake the family tree, you get a few nuts, don't you? We come to verse 3, and it says Judah. Now, he's a good guy, right? Well, he's the leader of uh, one of the tribes of Israel, and he's a leader of the tribe that Jesus himself was born into. But, uh-oh, it says he begot Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. Hmm. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and um, Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Okay, so what? Did you recognize any of those names? Maybe a few, but think about this. It says that Judah conceived children that are in the bloodline of Christ by uh, Tamar. Okay, this is a kind of a gross and disgusting story. The rules were in those days, if a man married, his, uh, married a wife and she didn't bear a child and then the man died, then that man's brother would have children by that wife, but the children would be legal descendants of the dead brother. And the land that was so important to all of them would be inherited by the children attributed to the older brother. It was the law of Leverite marriage. Well, Tamar had married Judah's oldest son and he died. No children. So she marries a brother. No children. And so she marries another brother. No children. And there was one of those guys who said, I don't want to have anything to do with her. If you marry her, you're a dead man. Remember that? And so uh, there was a young brother, a very young brother, and uh, Tamar is waiting for him to fulfill that Leverite law so her husband's name will not be wiped out and the land will stay in the family. Well, Judah decides, I don't want to give my youngest son to her. And so he withholds that son from Tamar. You know what Tamar does? Talk about a shameful thing. She dresses up like a prostitute. And when Judah's on his way to the sheep shearers, he sees the prostitute. He spends some time with the prostitute. And uh, she says, you've got to give me a couple of things to identify you. And she keeps them. So later on, when she is found to be pregnant and they're going to expose her and they're going to stone her for playing the harlot, she says, well, look in, uh, you know, over here because you're going to find some things that will identify the father of this child. You know who it was? Her father-in-law, Judah. Now, I find it very interesting that when you have these gross, disgusting things included in the bloodline of Jesus... 
It's for a purpose. And we see that the Lord, he identified, even though he was not a sinner, but he identified with sinners, even in his own family tree. This is a shameful, disgusting, somewhat incestuous type thing. But in Genesis 38, verse 24, it says, And it came to pass about three months later that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. And self-righteous Judah, kind of like all of us, said, Bring her out here and let her be burned. We're not going to put up with this sinful kind of stuff. We're not going to, no, not going to disgrace our family. What a hypocrite, right? Verse 25, when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. So Judah acknowledged them and said, She has been more righteous than I because I did not give her Shelah, my son. And uh, he never knew her again. In other words, this is not an ongoing affair. He's embarrassed by it. He's ashamed of it. And in verse 27 says, Now it came to pass that the time for her to give birth, that behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, This one came out first. Then it happened that as he drew back his hand, that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, How did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore his name was called Perez. Recognize that name from the genealogy. And afterward his brother came out, uh, who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Isn't that interesting? But you find other names in here too. Did you notice the name Rahab? In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, Joshua sent spies into the land, into Jericho, to spy it out and see what was going on there. And where did they stay? Joshua 2, verse 1, when they had come into the house of a harlot, named Rahab. Jesus has a prostitute in his ancestral line. Now you'll notice that there are several women mentioned in here and that was really unusual in those days but Matthew wanted it all documented. God wanted it to be very clear. You notice Ruth. Well certainly she was virtuous until you realize that she was an idol worshiping Moabite at the time. In fact in Ruth 1.16 but Ruth said, entreat me, it's funny we use this at a wedding and it's not about a wedding at all, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you for wherever you go I will go and wherever you lodge I will lodge. Now look at this, your people shall be my people and your God my God. What is that telling us? Ruth was not in the line of Israel. She was a Moabitess, and she's brought in, and she converts to Judaism. She had been an idol-worshiping foreigner. Now she comes into Bethlehem with Naomi, and what happens? She starts worshiping Naomi's God. 
But before that, what was she? An idol-worshiping foreigner. This is in the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes me think about how the Bible says, before we saved, we were alienated, we were far off, but now we've been brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is all about the Christmas story. This is why he came. Number four, God wanted his people to see the royalty of Jesus. He's not just some guy that happened to be born and said, I think I'll be the Messiah. But it tells us, Obed, a descendant of Ruth, by the way, begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And Jesus is a direct descendant of King David. He's the one that is born the king of the Jews. His legitimate claim to Israel's throne stirred things up in Matthew 2, 1 through 4. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, that would be Herod the great, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that has been born, that's an important word, born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And so when you look at that, no wonder Herod is disturbed and agitated and all Jerusalem with him. This was the last thing that they needed. This is going to get unwanted attention from Caesar and from Rome. This could bring armies in. This could bring death and destruction and ruin, the overthrow of the puppet kings that Rome put there because Rome would say, if you can't control this any better than this, you're, you're out of here. And they would kill Herod and anyone else who served with him and wipe out his family. That was the last thing they needed. And so Herod says, born a king. Well, we can't have that. He's a legitimate king. And so that's why he killed all of the babies in Bethlehem, two years of age or under. This shook everything up and it shows the legitimacy of the situation. Jesus is the true king. <clears throat> so in conclusion, the birth of the one born king could cause a lot of trouble for the appointed king by Rome. And so Herod investigated where the Christ would be born. That's interesting. Herod was not a Bible believer, but he sure looked up in the Bible to find out where this person was. He sure figured it out. And you're telling me the Pharisees and others couldn't in Christ's time? I don't buy it. If Herod could figure it out, anyone could. And so his reaction to the birth of a potential king and the Messiah, well, kill him. Matthew chapter 2 Verse 3 says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. In other words, the wise men weren't at the stable. They came 
approximately two years later and they were killing toddlers because that's about the age Jesus would have been at that time. And this fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is about Jesus. So read the Old Testament. Don't unhitch from it. Read from it and find out all of the prophecies and find out all of the promises that are given and that point to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He's the only one that could fulfill these prophecies and the only one qualified to save sinners like you and sinners like me. I mean, think about that. That is fabulous news. That is a great lesson. That is an amazing thing to think about because it's about our glorious, amazing God whose will will be accomplished, whose plan will come to pass, whose prophecies will come true no matter who tries to oppose him. And we can rest in that because it means that when we trust Christ as our Savior and Lord, He promises to save us and He will fulfill His promise. We think about the way the world is going and the way things are headed. It's all under the control of a sovereign God. Jesus is ruling and reigning over this world. May not feel like it, may not look like it, but we've seen the past and we've seen what God has done We can understand what he is doing and we can trust in the fact of what he will do. Rest in the Lord, folks. Celebrate this Christmas because Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Lord. Now, as I finish up, we'll be done here in just a second. I want to remind you of some things. December the 17th, we're going to have our annual Candlelight Lord's Supper. Please don't miss that and invite people to come to that from your Sunday school classes. We want all the church to gather for that. That's a very special time. That'll be Sunday night, the 17th. And then uh, December 24th this year is Christmas Eve, and we're going to do something we've never done before, and we're going to have a short, brief Christmas Eve celebration service. I've read recently by some experts, they say that your lost friends and family members are more apt to come to a Christmas Eve service with silent night and candles and all of that than they are to come to an Easter service. In fact, it's been said that Christmas Eve is the new Easter. Let's invite our friends. Let's invite our community. Let's invite our family members because they will hear the gospel that particular night. And so uh, we've got some exciting things that are coming up. Don't forget the Christmas musical on December the 10th. Bring people to that as well. So teachers, help us publicize these things. Don't forget we're in the midst now of taking up a love offering for our church staff. And just in case you have any questions, that does not include me. I don't take up money for myself in that. But it does give me the chance to give a Christmas bonus to people who serve us and work for us and work with us uh, so well. So give generously to that. And by the way, as I conclude... I just want to say hi to Chuck Lewis. Chuck, we love you and we miss you. And thank you for uh, uh, watching these services and these Sunday school lessons. We appreciate it and appreciate your prayers for us. So until next week, I pray that God will bless you 
and pray that you will dig into these lessons and think about the meaning that they have. It's not just meaningless travelogue. It is pertinent to everything we know and everything we believe about Christ. And there are things in here God wants to tell us because all scripture is given by God and all of it is profitable. So let's rejoice in it. There's a lot we find in here that should bless us at this time of the year. So thank you for your time and may the Lord bless you and we will see you again next week.